All right, church, if you will, if you'll open your Bible with me to the book of Romans. First of all, we're going to be in Romans chapter 10 today. And we're going to go to Acts chapter 4 after that. You guys doing all right today? The, uh, I don't know, the weather out there is really cool and crisp. Uh, and it just seems like we... Let me ask one more time. Y'all doing all right today? Good. I thought so. I thought so. We're going to get in the Word today. The Word is going to be good, and we're going to jump back up. Aaron's going to come back up here in a minute after I say a few things, and we're going to celebrate who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Um, Go to uh, Romans chapter 10. We'll start in verse 9 here in just a second. (coughs) There's a phrase that um, has kind of gotten out there in the culture over the last few years. It's become increasingly popular. Uh, I, I probably over the last 10 years, I think it's been around a while, but I've begun to notice it over the last decade. I've seen it on t-shirts that people have worn. I've seen it on a coffee mug one time. I uh, saw, saw it on a bumper sticker of a car. I've actually heard a sermon preached specifically just on this phrase. And, um, and here's the phrase that I'm talking about. We're going to put it up on the screen. You may have heard it before. You may have a t-shirt with this on it. I don't know. Um, but it's preach the gospel at all times. And if necessary... Use words. Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. It's, it's the idea that my life can be, or that your life can be so Christ-centered, and that your actions can be so Christ-centered and so soaked in the gospel that speaking about the gospel becomes unnecessary. It's the idea that, that when it comes to the spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that my actions alone are enough. And I want you to know that there is some, some biblical basis for this statement. Don't turn there, just watch. In, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus himself makes this statement. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Now what Jesus is saying here is that you should live your life in such a way that people can see the way that you live and be able to go, you know what, there's something different about this person. Who is this God that they worship? And that's what we talked about, or what rather we saw last week. We saw these stories of people that in an amazing and powerful way are demonstrating the gospel of Jesus, what Jesus has done for them through their lives. And I want you to hear what I'm about to say really carefully today. I, I, I in no way whatsoever am diminishing the power of letting your life be a demonstration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm in no way diminishing that. But here's what I am going to talk about today. Is how that statement, preach the gospel and if necessary use words, is a less than biblical statement. It's, it's not an un biblical statement, but it is a less than biblical phrase. A more biblically accurate statement would be, preach the gospel at all times with your actions and with your words. Let's put that on a t-shirt, right? Let's put that on a bumper sticker. Preach the gospel at all times with your actions, with your life, and with your mouth. I think the reason that that phrase 
Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Just to be totally honest with you, I, I, re, I really believe that it's become popular um, for a couple of reasons. One is I think it was a response to the fact that there's probably a couple of generations that came down the pike here in America that were preaching, but their actions didn't measure up to their words. But at the same time, I think for us, the pendulum has swung the entire other direction, and I think it's become so popular with us because it lets us off the hook. And we feel like we don't have to talk about Jesus to people. And if we're honest, most of us in the room, it is easy for us. It's easy for us. And I'm speaking from experience here. It's easy for us to get on an airplane and go to a foreign country and build somebody a house in the name of Jesus. It's easy to do that. I think for a lot of us, it, it, it's easy for, uh, to go into an un- under-resourced neighborhood and mow some yards in the name of Jesus. I think for a lot of us here, it's easy for us to go to a, a homeless shelter on Thanksgiving morning and feed the homeless in the name of Jesus. There, there's a, there are a lot of us, church, that are more than willing to demonstrate the gospel of Jesus with our lives, but at the very same time, we are incredibly hesitant to declare the gospel of Jesus with our mouths. Church, the Bible is abundantly clear that your calling as a follower of Jesus is not just to demonstrate the gospel of Jesus with your life, but it is also to declare the gospel of Jesus with your mouth. All right, Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Let's read it together. (coughs) Paul says, and he starts off with just giving us the gospel. He says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. All right? If you confess with your mouth, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He says, for with the heart, one believes and is justified. That means made righteous before the Lord. Your sins are forgiven. That's what the word justified means. He says, and with your mouth one confesses or or says it and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew or Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on everyone or who all who call on him. For everyone who calls upon the Lord, the name of the Lord, shall be saved. He starts off there and he just gives us the gospel. He's saying that anybody, everybody who calls upon the name of the Lord, believes in your heart that Jesus rose from the grave, you will be saved. Now, watch how. Watch how the scripture says this gospel is going to go out. Watch this. Look at verse 13. It says, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved And he says, how then, he asks a question, how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? Paul says, hey, everybody that calls on the name of the Lord, they're going to be saved. But then he asks a question, how are they going to call on the Lord if they don't believe in him? Right, then he goes on, he asks another question. He says, and how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without somebody preaching. He says, everybody that calls upon the name of the Lord is going to be saved, but how are they going to believe in him to call upon him? And how are they going to call upon them unless they hear? And how are they going to hear unless somebody 
preaches to them. And that word preach right there is not talking about somebody like me. He's talking about just that word means proclamation, a messenger. That's it. He says, and how are we to preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach or proclaim the good news, but they have all not obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. Watch verse 17. He says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. Now, I'm going to be careful here. I want you to hear me. Church, can God save people without the audible words of another human being? Can he do that? Yes, he can. All right, he can do that. I was in seminary. um, I was taking Evangelism 101. That was one of the classes I was in in seminary. And the very first day of Evangelism 101, you had to talk to the person next to you and give them your testimony. That's what you did on day one of Evangelism 101. And I gave my testimony, and then this guy next to me gave his. I'll never forget his testimony. You know what, 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 what it was? He was watching football, and somebody held up the John 3.16 sign at the goalpost. And he said he kept seeing that over and over again. This is back in the day in the 80s when they used to do that. And, and, and he said, I just I had no clue what this John 3.16 thing was. And so I asked my buddy, hey, what's the John 3.16 thing? But I keep seeing behind the goalpost, and the guy was like, I think it's in the Bible or something. So the guy goes to the bookstore, he buys a Bible, looks it up, reads John 3.16, gives his life to Jesus. I'm sitting there in Evangelism 101 with him in seminary. Can God save people apart from the audible words of human beings? Yes, he can. can. Can God save people through dreams? Yes, he can. He can do that. You go to the uh, Islamic countries in the Middle East, you're hearing that a lot. God's saving people through through dreams, you can do that. Can people trust in Jesus because they see a Christian live differently and, and pick up a Bible and read it for themselves and trust in Jesus? Yes, they can. But church, listen, that is not God's primary way that he intended. That is not God's primary method he intended for the gospel to go forth. Those are the kind of methods that God has to use when Christians will not open their mouth. The primary method that God has intended for the message of Jesus to go to his people is for the gospel to be spoken out of a believer's mouth and to be heard by an unbeliever's ear. The scripture says that faith comes from hearing or comes rather through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. I want you to hear this. Make no mistake whatsoever that that God desires for you and that God commands you to be a person that demonstrates, yes, the gospel with your life and to declare the gospel and the good news of Jesus with your mouth. When Jesus rose from the grave, And he gave the disciples the great commission. He said, go to the nations, baptize them, make disciples of all the nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then he ascended into heaven. And then he left the disciples' plan to, to, to get the gospel to the nations was not after the Holy Spirit came to build a homeless shelter and stop there. 
The disciples' plan to take the gospel to the nations was, was not to build some houses for some poor people and then live really good lives and then just hope and pray that the message of Jesus got to people through osmosis. Now, did they take care of poor people? Yes, they did. Did they care for widows? Yes, they did. Did they care for the orphan? Yes, they did, as they should have and were commanded to do. But that is not where it stopped. These ordinary guys, these fishermen, tax collectors, ordinary guys, they went. Jesus sent them, and they went, and they spoke, they talked. They preached, they shared with their mouths the message of Jesus Christ and church. I am so thankful they did. Because you and I are sitting here today in this room and we, a lot of us are believers because they spoke and they preached and they opened their mouths about the message of Jesus Christ. You and I are called to be a people that do not just demonstrate the gospel with our lives, but we are to declare it with our mouths. And we're gonna finish today to finish the message today by looking at one of the stories where they did that, where they spoke the gospel, they preached the gospel with their mouths, and then we're going to see how, how these ordinary guys declared the gospel with their words. Acts chapter 4, verse 1. Go ahead and turn there with me. Acts chapter 4, verse 1. I love this story. This is one of my favorites. I've always liked it. <clears throat> Acts chapter 4, verse 1. It says, as they were speaking to the people, let me give you the background here. So Peter, James, and John, this is after Jesus has ascended into heaven. The Holy Spirit has come at Pentecost. They go, they're beginning to preach. This guy um, who was crippled, got healed. And, um, and then they, everybody's kind of like, how did this happen? What's going on? And then they say, well, Jesus did this. And then they start preaching about Jesus. In, in Acts chapter uh, 4, verse 1, it says, and as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. They were greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the word believed. And a number of the men came to about 5,000 Verse 4, but many who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Church, 5,000 people that day, and that just says the men, so it's probably more like 10,000 or maybe even 15,000 people when you add the, the, their wives and the children. 5,000 people who woke up that morning as non-believers went to bed that night as believers in Jesus Christ. 5,000 people who were dead in their trespasses and their sins are now alive and are going to spend eternity in heaven. Why? Because they heard the word and they believed. Now there's three things we're going to see with the rest of this little uh, section here about what that proclamation, what that declaration of the spoken word that these people heard, three things that describe it, things we, we, uh, three things we can learn from it. Look at verse 5. It says, on the next day, their, their, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem. This is after 5,000 people heard the word and believed. And all the rulers and scribes got together and they didn't like it. In verse 6, it says, with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who are of high priestly family. And when they had set them in their midst, they got the guys, Peter, James, John, set them in their midst. They inquired to them. They said, by what power or by what name did you do this? 
5,000 people converted in one day, maybe 10,000. They said, how did you do this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me stop right there. That's key. You know what the Holy Spirit does? Holy Spirit, he does one thing. He points people to Jesus. That's what he does. All right, that, if, the Holy, if you're in a, a worship service where the, where the star is the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit had nothing to do with that. Holy Spirit always points people to Jesus. And by the way, the Holy Spirit lives in you. He says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? And then Peter just starts preaching. But watch what he preaches. He says, and let it be known to all of you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, by the way, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you. Well, verse 11, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And if you've ever wondered, by the way, where the name of our church came from, that's it, that verse. And there is salvation, Peter said, and there is salvation in no one else. No one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. If you take a note, the very first thing we see about this and we learn about the spoken declaration of the gospel by the disciples is when they spoke, it was always about Jesus. When they spoke, when they proclaimed and when they declared, it was always about Jesus. Now, I'll, you think, well, of course it was. But listen, I want to tell you why that's significant. Because a lot of folks in the culture have gotten away from that. We're declaring a lot of stuff, but it's not necessarily about Jesus. Because see, here's the thing. When you are talking to a neighbor about your faith, when you're sharing with your neighbor about your faith, when you're talking to the guy or the girl in the cubicle next to you about your faith, when you're talking to the homeless person that you just shared a meal with about your faith, you cannot just talk to them about the existence of a God. Okay, that's not enough. You cannot just talk to them about the fact that God loves them. That is not enough. Okay, now why not? Why is when you're sharing your faith talking about the existence of God apologetics, why is... Or is you talking about the fact that there's a God that, that loves them, which is awesome and is true? Why is that not enough? Here's the answer. Because somebody understanding that God exists and somebody understanding that God loves them is not enough to save them from their sins. It, amen? Is anybody with me? I'm about to show you biblically why that's true. That is not enough to save them from their sins. Jesus has to be a part of the equation for somebody's sins to be forgiven. All right, it says it, don't turn there, just listen. Romans chapter eight, verse 38, listen. Paul says, for I am sure, another translation says I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. And he could have stopped the verse there. But he doesn't. He says, we'll be able to separate nothing, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God 
in Christ Jesus our Lord. Church, there's lots of stuff that can separate you from the love of God if Jesus is not a part of the equation. Death can separate you from the love of God if Jesus is not a part of the equation. But when Jesus is in the picture, when his blood is in the picture, when his cross is in the picture, when his resurrection is in the picture, then nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's a famous pastor out there, and I'm not going to share his name because I just don't think it matters, but there's a pastor out there, and, and I started noticing over the last few months, I used to not pay attention to the guy, I just started, and he all the time is talking about God's love. Most of the time he's talking about how God wants to make your life better, but some of the time he talks about God's love, which is great. It's awesome. God's love is the best. But there's something that I noticed about him and and it's really bothering me. God never mentions the name of Jesus. Never mentions the name of Jesus. I went and looked up his Twitter account and he tweets about three times a day and I went back six months and I just got bored. But I went back six months, I cannot find the name of Jesus one time. Now here's the thing. That's not good. That's not good drives me nuts because church you can believe in God and you can believe that God loves you and go straight to hell when you die in order for you to receive forgiveness of your sins you have to understand and believe and confess that God's love comes to you and it's available to you through a person and that person is Jesus Christ. And that's why when Peter preaches, that's why when Peter preaches in Acts chapter 4 verse 11, he's like, How, what power am I preaching in? What name am I preaching in? It's Jesus. This Jesus, verse 11, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. And there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Church, Your declaration of the gospel, our declaration of the gospel, our message has to be more than just the existence of some benevolent deity who wants to make our lives better. We've got to open our mouths and we have to speak about the cross and the resurrection and the forgiveness of sin through the person, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When they spoke, when they preached, when they declared they declare Jesus. Second thing, look at verse 13. This is now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. They saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated. Common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Peter just goes off on these guys and just preaches this message of Jesus. And yes, 5,000 people uh, came to be saved. And, and what it says about, what they, they look at them and they're like, You're, you guys are uneducated men, you're fishermen. And there's such a boldness about you. Okay, later on in the, in the text, and I'm not going to get into it today, but later on in the text they're like, hey, if you don't stop preaching about Jesus, if you don't shut up about Jesus, we're going to put you in prison and we're going to beat you. We're going to beat you with rods. And they're like, hey, we can't stop doing that. You're going to have to beat us. You're going to have to put us in prison. There was this unbelievable boldness 
to their proclamation, to their declaration. There's a boldness to their witness. I, uh, I just started thinking about some of the stories. You see it over and over again in the scripture and then, and then the extra biblical stuff, the church history stuff like Fox's Book of Martyrs. You see all these unbelievable stories about these people that their witness of Jesus after the resurrection was incredibly bold. You got Andrew, the brother of Peter. He, he was crucified. That's how he died. And, and they had his hands tied like this. And on his way up the hill when he was walking to the cross, he started pointing at the cross. And the Roman soldier looked at him and said, stop pointing. And he just kept pointing and they started slapping his arms down. And he kept putting his arms back up and they kept slapping his arms down. And he put his arms back and the Roman soldier looked at him and said, why are you pointing at that cross? That cross is going to be what, what kills you. And Andrew said, I know. I know it's going to kill me. And I've been waiting for this moment my whole life because I'm about to see my Lord and Savior and my best friend, Jesus Christ. That's bold. Polycarp. Y'all may have heard me tell this story before. Polycarp is a dude's name. He hung out with John. Somebody needs to name their kid Polycarp. We need to bring that back. (laughs) Polycarp was 87 years old. 87 years old. He was preaching, proclaiming the name of Jesus. And the Romans came to him and they said, look, we're going to kill you because you won't shut up about Jesus. And so they took him and they put him on a stake and they were going to burn him to death. And right before they burned him to death, they said, Polycarp, you're 87 years old. Just renounce, just deny Jesus right here, right now, and we will let you live out the rest of your life in peace. You're an old man, deny Jesus. And standing there on that pile of wood, Polycarp said, for 87 years, my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has not denied me. And I will not deny him now. Light your fire. And they lit the fire. And the old dude started singing praise songs while he died. That's bold. So here's my question. Why are we so afraid? Why are we so afraid to declare the gospel of Jesus with our mouths, I would venture to say, I would argue, I would believe that for the vast majority of us in this room who are believers, if asked, you would say that Jesus is the single, solitary, most important thing in your life. Why are we so afraid to talk about him? Why are we so afraid to share our faith with others? Because you know what's interesting? It's almost fascinating. All of us in the room are evangelists about something. Every one of us in the room, we are evangelists. We, we have zero problem being passionate and opening our mouths about the things that are important to us. Think about it. Parents, when you had your first child, did you have a problem striking up a conversation about that kid? No. You talked about it did anybody, for anybody who would listen. Your friends in the back of their minds are like, oh, I wish they'd shut up. I get your kid's awesome. You just talk about it all the time. You ever been around a single person that like, got a girlfriend for the first time? Or a boyfriend and they fall, and then they just they, they start falling in love. Have you noticed that they cannot shut up about the person they fell in love with? And they're like, oh, this person's the greatest person I've ever met. And we never fight. I can't imagine us ever having an argument. They're the greatest person ever. We never have a problem talking about things that are important to us. You know what's, um, I really, I honestly, before I even knew I was going to preach this message, I got convicted about two months ago about something. I'm an evangelist of something. 
And, and I, would, I would say that word, I'm an evangelist of this, and that's the, the big green egg. You know what a big green egg is? And if you don't, you need to learn. A big green egg is, a, is like a grill. It's like a combination of a smoker and a grill. And Aaron Ivy got me hooked onto this thing. And I used to use a gas grill, but I don't use a gas grill anymore. I use a big green egg because it just takes grilling. Just There's a whole other level of grilling ecstasy that you don't know about unless you have the big green egg. And I found myself, I found myself, I mean, just like last week, I was at this preacher's gathering. And, and, uh, and, and I would, there's this one guy, that he's, he's a pastor of a church like ours in Oklahoma, and we were hanging out. Uh, eating dinner and he's a big griller and he was talking about how he was grilling this thing on his gas grill and I'm looking at him going dude that's like the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life I'm like man they're not paying you enough do I need to make a donation for you to get a, a big green egg I'm like dude you stop what you're doing right now skip the prayer meeting we're about to go to you go buy you a big green egg right now it'll change your life and it just hit me I'm like I haven't witnessed this passionately to anybody in a long time I'm talking about a grill right? We're always passionate. We're always evangelists about something. And here's the thing. My passion for the big green egg doesn't even come close to my passion for Jesus. Not even close. It's not even in, it's not even in the ballpark. I would never come into a room and sing at the top of my lungs and and, 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 and dance as much as I'm able to dance and put my hands in the air for a big green egg. I would never do that. Why is it so easy for me to talk about that? Why is it so easy for me to talk about my kids? And why is it so hard for me to tell others about my belief and my love for Jesus who saved me? Now, it's easy. I'll be honest with you. It's easy for me to come up here because that's the gift that God gave me at my salvation. It's the Holy Spirit. But I'll be real honest with you. It's hard in the airplane. It's hard at the coffee shop for me. And I was thinking about it. I realized that nobody's going to ridicule me for talking about my children. Nobody's going to stop being friends with me because I tell them about my big green egg. Nobody's going to fire me from a job because I tell the guy in the cubicle next to me he's dumb for owning a gas grill. Nobody's going to do that. But you very well might get ridiculed if you tell somebody that you love Jesus more than anything in the world. You very well might be rejected. You might lose a friendship if you start telling your friends about the gospel and there's only one way they can go to heaven and that's through the name of Jesus. You might get fired if you start telling people around you in the cubicles next to you about the gospel. And there's a lot of places on the earth right now where you can get put into prison if you start talking about the name of Jesus. There's a pastor in Iran that's been there two years. There's people dying all over the world I heard this the other day, I don't know if it's true or not. I just heard this on some show I was watching, that there is a greater persecution of Christians today than any time in the history of the church. I don't know if that's true or not. I just heard that the other day. You can die if you mention the name of Jesus. And I think that's why we're scared. And even though Jesus is the most important thing in our lives, our mouths stay shut. And if that's where you are today... If that's where you're at today, if honestly that's where you're at, here's just the thing I've been thinking about and praying about. Here's what I want you to consider. Is that aren't you glad Jesus didn't let fear of ridicule and rejection and death keep him from living out and declaring the gospel? Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't let that stop him? Jesus knew. He knew he was going to be ridiculed 
because of the gospel, and yet he lived it, and yet he spoke it. Jesus knew that he would be rejected by living out, displaying, declaring the gospel, and yet he lived it, and he spoke it. Jesus knew that he would die for living, displaying, and declaring the gospel, and yet he did it. And at some point, I think we've got to get to the place where we say, Lord, if you have done this for me, then give me the strength to do it for you. Now, some of you in this room have not shared your faith with anybody. You haven't spoken the gospel to somebody in years, maybe never, and probably it's because of fear. If that's where you're at today, and and I want you to join me in praying the prayer that I've been praying all week for boldness. Ask him to do it. God, give me the prayer or give me the passion. Give me the boldness that you gave Andrew. Give me the boldness that you gave Peter. Give me the boldness that you gave Polycarp. Church, the Holy Spirit of God lives in you and he's dying to do what he does, which is tell people about Jesus. It's what he does. And he lives in you. Ask God to do that. So their declaration was in the name of Jesus. Their declaration was bold. Last one here, Acts chapter four, verse 15. It says, but when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, (coughs) not the disciples, but the, the priests and stuff. They conferred with one another saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them and is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. And so they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. I love this. But Peter and John answered to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and what we have heard. One of the translations said, We cannot stop speaking about what we saw and what we heard. What they hear? The love of God through the cross of Jesus. What did they see? They saw Jesus come out of the ground. And they said, we can't stop talking about First thing we see is when they talk, they talk about Jesus. The second thing we see when they talked about Jesus, they were bold. The third thing that we see is when they talked about Jesus boldly, they were urgent. There was an urgency to their message. And I pray for us that we would be a church marked by those four words. We cannot stop speaking. We cannot stop. Austin Stone, if, this, if, this all, if all this stuff is real... If all this stuff is true, that we sing about and we talk about every Sunday, if this stuff is really real, that there really is a God, and we really are sinners, and we really are separated from him because of our sin, and people all over the world really are going to spend eternity in hell if they're not reconciled back to God, and if God really has made a way for them to go and be with him forever, we cannot stop speaking about what we've seen and what we've heard. Do y'all agree with that? We cannot stop speaking. And there's got to be an urgency with that. I'll end with this story. 
God had to knock me over the head about urgency. It's easy for me to be urgent up here. It's harder for me to be urgent out there. I'll never forget this. I was 25 or 26 years old. It was before I started the stone. I was a youth pastor in the Woodlands, Texas. Um, I had preached one Sunday that morning. And, uh, and so I was exhausted and Jennifer and I were packing right after church to leave and go on vacation. And so we were so excited because the sermon was over and, and uh, the vacation was coming and we were packing and I got a call. And there was a lady that had come to our church that morning, heard me preach. And that afternoon, her son had overdosed on drugs. And she didn't know, she wasn't a believer. But she had just, I don't remember how she got to the church, but she had gone to church that morning, had heard me preach, didn't know who to call, so called the church asking if I could come see her son in the hospital who had just drug overdosed. Now again, I'm a human being. And I just got finished preaching. I was really nervous about because I didn't preach a lot back then. And, and I was walking out the door to go on vacation and now I got to go to the hospital. And so I wasn't excited about that. And I'm thinking, oh, I can just get this person to go do it. I can just get this person to go do it. And then my wife, who's the Holy Spirit in disguise, looked at me and said, no, we, we need to go. And so I called Chris Collins, which is on staff here. He was really young back then. He, I think he might have been 19 or 20 or something. He's, he's with us here. And I called him because before he... Um, before he was a Christian, he used to do drugs. So I thought maybe these guys could relate. And, and so I brought him and, and we went in and this kid was laying on the, on the table or on the, on the bed there. And he was just a jerk to me. It was a jerk to Chris. And, 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 and during while I'm trying to reach this kid and you know, just somehow minister to him, this mom that had gone to church that morning, Jennifer looks at her and says, hey, you wanna go get a coat? Let's go talk. And, and while they were out there, this woman looks at Jennifer and she literally said these words to Jennifer. She goes, I am at the bottom. She goes, I'm at the bottom. And this is what she said, word for it. She goes, I have tried everything in life and nothing satisfies me. I've tried men, I've tried drugs, I've tried money, I've tried this, I've tried that, nothing satisfies me. And Jennifer began to talk to her about Jesus and that God kind of designed it that way. And that there's really nothing in the world that can satisfy that place in, in our hearts but the person of Jesus in relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And Jennifer started witnessing to her. And so we get done with the kid that was in there that had done drugs and we prayed for him. And Chris and I got out the door and, and Jennifer and this woman are in, in the hallway crying together. And, and, uh, and Jennifer looks at me and she goes, Matt, this woman, I've been telling her about Jesus and, and she wants to hear more about Jesus. Will you talk to her? And, and again, in the back of my mind, I'm just my sinful heart, my flesh. I was just like, I'm going to go on vacation. And so I was like, all right, here, all right lady, here, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you my Bible. And I'm thinking, I'm going to be sacrificial. I'm going to give her my Bible. So I give her my Bible. and say, you read, you read the book of John. And next week when I get back, I'll talk to you. I know I'm going to hell. Y'all give me a break. So anyway, so I, no, not really. But I, so I'm like, here, read, read the Bible. And I'll, I'll call you next week. And then Chris Collins next to me goes, no, I tell you what, would you, and she, he looks at this woman, and he goes, would you like to trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior right here and right now? And she looked back at him and she said, yes, I would. And right there, and I see you. We held hands, doctors, nurses, going everywhere. And that woman received Christ as her Lord and Savior right there in the hallway. And you see, that's cool, that's cool. 
But it didn't end there. She came back, and over the course of the next couple of weeks, she started telling her son about this Jesus that had completely changed her life and filled her heart like nothing else ever had. And, and then two weeks later, that, that boy who was uh, overdosed, he came and he trusted in Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Completely changed his life. Got off drugs. And then the two of them started working on their dad. And they started witnessing to their father. They started telling their father about Jesus and their dad trusted in Christ as Lord and Savior. Then they worked on their sister who wasn't living with them anymore and the sister trusted in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And that entire family's life and eternity was completely radically changed because somebody had the courage to open their mouths and say, hey, would you like to trust in Jesus right now? I'm so thankful for my wife. I'm so thankful for Chris who had the courage to open their mouths. I got a feeling that those people, when we're hanging out with them in glory forever, are gonna say thank you for opening your mouth and telling me about all of this. Church, would you join me today in praying that God would make us evangelists for Jesus Christ? Would you be willing to pray that bold prayer? God, pray, or God, rather, make me an evangelist for the most important thing in my life and my eternity so that it could be said about you, that was a man, that was a woman that could not stop speaking about what they'd seen and heard. Let's ask God for that right now. Why don't you do business with the Lord? Take a moment, just pray. He's the only one that can give you the power to do that. And so ask him to give you the power. Ask you, ask him rather to give you the boldness. Church, when we're in heaven, there's only going to be one thing that we do now that we're not going to be able to do in heaven. And that's evangelize. We're going to get to worship. We're going to get to fellowship. We're going to get to spend eternity learning about God, the Word. But there's one aspect of our faith that is present now that will not be present in glory. And that's evangelism. There's a marked time in our lives. And we get to do that and then it's over. Father, would you do that in us? I pray that right now that you would even be bringing names to mind by the power of your spirit, that you'd be bringing names to mind, uh, loved ones, friends, coworkers, that Lord, it's just time. We need to just talk to them about the most important thing in our lives, which is you, Jesus. Father, give us boldness and the faith to do that. 
And Father, we're going to trust you with the results. God, we're, we're not going to worry about the results of whether they say yes to you or not. We're just going to trust you with that. But God, we're going to speak. Give us the strength to speak. Give us the strength to declare the gospel with our lives and with our mouths. We do it for you because you did it for us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, church. Let's stand together.